Our sermon this morning is from 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. The title of the sermon is The Inspired, Relevant, and Sufficient Word of God. Um, a lot to get to this morning. I'm going I'm to try to stay with, uh, within time. No promises. Um, I'm going to do the best I can. There's a lot here. Um, and so I'm just going to read the text. We'll go to the next, see if this clicker is working here. Yes, all right. All right, um, so I'm going to read the text and uh, pray, and then we'll, we'll get right to it. It reads, All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word, Lord. Um, Lord Jesus, you said that uh, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And we, we pray that we could live that way. Um, speak to us now, Lord. Give us insight. Give us understanding. Lord, use me to um, help equip your people, Lord, and help us to see you for who you are, um, and, uh, and, to, and to treasure your word for the treasure that it is, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so you can see how uh, the, the, um, the bold and the uh, um, italics are kind of on purpose. Uh, my wife says she loves three-point sermons, and so this morning is a three-point sermon. Um, all, all scripture is inspired by God, so we're going to talk about the inspiration of scripture. And then that second part there, uh, unprofitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. That's the relevance of Scripture to our lives and to the life of everyone, really. So that's, that's the second point, the relevance of Scripture. And then the third point, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Or other translations say, so the man of God may be perfect or complete and then that word equipped, it fully equipped for every good work, and that speaks to the sufficiency of Scripture. And so, um, so the next slide here. Yeah, I have my pointer. Here we go. Okay. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I'm getting ahead of myself. So uh, let's, let's talk about what is Scripture. First of all, let's, let's define that. What do we mean when we say Scripture? Well, today, obviously, we know of Scripture as the 66 books of the Old and New Testaments, right? But, of course, people didn't always have the New Testament, uh, people didn't always have all of the Old Testament. So how, most generally, how do we define the term Scripture? Well, Scripture is what is known as God's special revelation. They had really two categories of revelation, what we call natural revelation, which is creation. You know, we see God's glory and the, the sun, the moon, the stars, the trees, the birds, everything that he has made. That's natural revelation. And then we have God's special revelation, which is contained in what, uh, how he has revealed himself through people and it's been written down throughout history. So God has revealed himself to humanity at various times throughout history through various men. Right? And, uh, and so in the most general sense, Scripture is the revelation, the message, <clears throat> the communication of, of who God is and what he commands. And all Scripture is inspired by God. That phrase, inspired by God, what does that mean? Well, the word inspired by God, if you were, it's actually one word in Greek. It's theanoustos. All Scripture is theanoustos, which literally means God-breathed. 
If you put like your hand in front of your face, you can feel breath, right? It's all scripture is the breath of God. Theo in Greek means God and noustos is a form of the word nuo, which means breath or, or to breathe. And so when Paul says this, he's, what, he's, what he's really saying is scripture is primarily God speaking, not, not men speaking. God uses men as a means, but it's his word, not theirs. So, so scripture is the content, the message, the revelation, right? And uh, inspiration is the vehicle or the, the means of God's communicating to people throughout history. And this is, a, this is a far from perfect analogy, but sometimes I'll tell people, you kind of think of it as like, if, you have a, if you're writing a letter, what do you use? You use paper and a pen, right? Does the pen write the letter or do you write the letter? Well, yes, right? The, 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 the pen is not really writing the letter, it's just an instrument in your hand. And so uh, God uses men as his instruments to pen his word. Um, so scripture consists of God's words and ideas, not man's words or ideas. And so because it's God's word, that means it's authoritative, it's unchanging, it's infallible, it's inerrant, right? And, it, and it's always consistent and always true because it comes from a perfect and holy God. And he never changes, right? And, and, and he, is, he is perfect, and it, so every word of his is true. And yet... It has come to us through men. So a helpful cross-reference for this is Second uh, Peter one twenty, which says, No prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So it's God's word, it's, it's God speaking, but it's God's word, but it's still spoken through men. And one of the most amazing things that you'll find when you study the Bible is that you'll notice different personalities and writing styles consistent to each author of the books of the Bible, but, they, but their, their styles differ from one another between authors. So, like Matthew writes one way, and John writes completely different from him, and Paul writes completely different from them. And yet, they all tell the same story. They all communicate the, the same message without contradicting each other at any point. And so when we say the, the apostles were inspired, we're not saying that they had a stroke of genius, uh, like we think of inspiration in that way, because that would be human ideas. That would be their, their ideas, their, their words. But nor are we saying that these men were just turned into typewriters or like uh, dictation robots. So the, the best way to explain it is exactly the way that Peter does, is that, that men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So I just want to give a, a bit of a framework here to understanding um, Revelation. We'll try to go through this quickly. It might feel more like a Sunday school class than a sermon. Uh, quite a few slides. But I think it's important to know um, what is God's word and what isn't, right? It's important for us to know that. But more importantly than that, it's, it's, it's important to know why we consider one thing to be God's word and not another. So in Deuteronomy 13, this is kind of a condensed version of Deuteronomy 13 verses 1 through 5. God is speaking through Moses, right? And he's speaking to the people of Israel. And this is what he tells them about prophets. A prophet is someone who speaks for God, right? If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and that sign or wonder comes true, right? So a prophet does a miracle or, or tells the future, and it's, and it's true. It comes true. And he says to you, 
let us go after other gods and serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet, but that prophet shall be put to death because he has taught rebellion against the Lord your God. So we see here how, how this works is that God says, look, even if somebody performs a miracle seeming to have some kind of divine power and seeming to have a divine message, um, if, if they tell you, let us go after other gods and serve them, you shall not li- listen to him. Why? Well, because God has already told his people in Exodus chapter 20, first commandment, right? I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. And so God has always got to say, like, I've already told you who I am, that I am the one true God, that I am the only God. You shall have no other gods before me. And so this prophet comes later and he tells you, let us go after other gods. You know that that prophet is a false prophet because he's contradicting what God has already revealed about himself, right? And another test that God gives is in Deuteronomy 18, just five chapters later. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how may we know the word that the Lord has not spoken? So so God gives a test. When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. So God's word always comes to pass. If God says it's going to happen, it's going to happen. Nobody can thwart his purposes. Nobody can thwart his, his plans. So if a prophet says this is going to happen and it doesn't happen, then you know that's a false prophet. A contemporary, um, a contemporary uh, example today, when uh, Kenneth Copeland prophesies that it's going to be between 80 and 90 degrees on April 2nd, 2020, uh, and it turns out that it's only 67 degrees on April 2nd in Newark, Texas, uh, uh, in, on April 2nd, 2020, then we know that Kenneth Copeland is a false prophet, right? Okay, so that's just a, a contemporary example. And then in the Gospels, um, we get even more in, insight on how to test divine revelation from our Lord, from Jesus. Jesus teaches us by example the principle of interpreting Scripture with Scripture. So this is during his temptation. He's, he's led away by the Spirit in the wilderness. He's tempted by the devil. And the devil comes to him uh, and says, If you are the Son of God, he takes him to the top of the temple, right? If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And then Jesus answers, Again it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And so, no, Satan, you can't just take this scripture out of context. You can't, you can't say that just because God promises to protect his people that we can throw ourselves off of buildings. All right? It doesn't work that way. So Jesus you know, shows the principle here of interpreting scripture with scripture. And then in Acts uh, 17... We see the same thing with the Bereans. Paul comes to Berea on his missionary journey, right? And what is, what is he telling them? What is he preaching to the Bereans? Well, he's preaching that Jesus is the promised Messiah, right? That he's, that he's crucified, that he's buried, that he was raised from the dead. And then uh, Paul writes about the, the Bereans in uh, Acts 17, or perhaps I should say Luke does, and we read that now the Bereans were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word, that is the word of Paul, right, what Paul is saying, 
um, with eager with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things are so. So they didn't just take Paul's word, you know, at face value. They 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 checked to see is what Paul is saying consistent with what God has already revealed about Himself in the Old Testament. And then you can just imagine them checking, uh, you know, Paul says Jesus was pierced with a spear. Yeah, that matches Isaiah 53, uh, Psalm 22, you know, it, it, going, going back and seeing, you can just, I wonder what it would have been like, you know, to, to be there. Um, it, you, can, you can just imagine that those were the kinds of things that they were doing. And so we interpret scripture and prophecy not with our traditions, not with our personal biases, but we, we interpret scripture with... Scripture, right? And so, um, before we move on, so this is all inspiration. We're only a third of the, not even a third of the way through the sermon. We're getting there. Um, before we move on, I think it's important when we talk about this topic to at least mention why we have 66 books, and then we'll get into the relevance of Scripture. So we're talking about the inspiration of Scripture. <clears throat> why is Scripture Scripture? We have 66 books. Why do we have 66 books? Okay, and this is from uh, Josh McDowell's book, um, God Breathed. Uh, ben lent it to me, and that was really, uh, really helped me a lot in preparing for this. Um, <clears throat> so the collection of 66 books is called the Canon of Scripture. And uh, canon comes from a Greek word that means rule or, or measuring rod. So basically it's like this is the standard. This is, you know, uh, this is what Scripture is. And um, so the question then is, and a lot of people ask this question, a lot of people who don't know the Bible very well, they ask, you know, who decided what got put in the canon? How was it decided? How do you know that the people who decided what would get put in it weren't wrong in their decision? Um, right? And so the simplest way to answer that is that the canon of Scripture was not decided or authorized by a person or by a group of people it was recognized, right? And in other words, there were no like church councils convened where some books were voted in and other books were voted out. Um, but instead, it was more like this. If I were to hold up a real $20 bill and then hold up a fake million-dollar bill, you, could, you, you, you can easily see this is real this is fake. It doesn't, it doesn't take long, right? It doesn't take much examination to see one is real, one is not real. And so the canon was not decided upon or authorized. It, it, was, it was recognized that this, this is God's word and this isn't. And there were tests that the early church used to uh, decide on, you know, what, what, what is Scripture and what is not Scripture. When uh, Chris and I, when we're out on the, um, doing evangelism, we'll often have people tell us that, you know, the Council of Nicaea decided what was going to be put in the New Testament, or the Emperor Constantine de- decided it. That's really just a modern, popular Internet myth. Uh, nothing could be further from the truth. It was churches asking at least these four basic questions that preserved the canon of Scripture and then weeded out what became known as the Apocrypha. So first question, was the writing authored by an apostle or prophet of God or by someone very closely connected with the apostles or prophets? And number two, uh, do the writings clearly evidence the power and presence of God? Number three, remember what we talked about in Deuteronomy 13, is the message of the writing consistent with what 
is already revealed in, in recognized scripture? Is it consistent with other already recognized scripture? And then lastly, was the writing widely accepted uh, by the early churches? Now, the Apocrypha, especially the New Testament that was written by the Gnostics, the New Testament apocryphal writings, such as the Gospel of Thomas, the Gospel of Judas, they fail all of these tests miserably. (laughs) They really do. So, if you, all you have to do is line up one against another, and it can be clearly seen that, um, that these are obviously uh, inspired writings, and, and these obviously are not. So the canon was not voted on. It was, it was uh, you know, not decided by a certain person or a certain group of people. It was, it was recognized that, hey, this is authentic scripture. That is not. So that's we're talking about the nature and inspiration of scripture, and now we're going to talk about the relevance of scripture. Uh, so the, the Bible is profitable or useful, for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, right? The, the Bible is always relevant to everyone, um, but our pride, human pride, makes it difficult and sometimes impossible to see that it is relevant to us. Uh, obviously, the Bible doesn't teach us everything we need to know about everything. It doesn't tell you, you won't find instructions on how to change a tire uh, in the Bible or how to um, bake cookies or, or anything like that. But it does tell us, it does teach us everything we need to know about God and, and about ourselves and our purpose, our salvation, our, our destiny. Um, it, it tells us how to know God. In order to know God, you have to know God's word. Because God is not who we think he is. God is not who I think he is or who you think he is. God is who he says he is. And so we must come to the Bible humbly and prayerfully saying, Lord, teach me who you are. And it's the Bible alone that teaches us the real truth about who God is, about who we are, and about who we are meant to be. And so that's why it's relevant to each and every person, in each and every place, in each and every time in history, because every person is made in the image of God. So if every person is made in the image of God, and, and Scripture is the only place where God has fully revealed himself, and that we can know that this is, this is the truth about who God is and what he commands, that means that the Bible is relevant to every person and every place and every time in history. So the, so the Bible is, is profitable for teaching, right? Or some translations use the word doctrine. In the very next verse, which I don't have it up here, but if you, if, if you have a Bible with you, you can see the very next verse after verse 17 is um, 2 Timothy 4.1, where Paul says, I charge you in the presence of God and of, of the angels, preach the word, right? Not, not preach the word and some stories or preach, your tra- preach traditions or, or anything like that. Preach the word, preach scripture. And so the Bible establishes our doctrine. And, and so that means that any teaching that does not come from the proper exegesis of Scripture is not sound teaching. Right, let's go to the next slide here. Uh, Jesus shows us an example of this, of, the, of, of this happening in his day. Um, you know, people adding to the Bible and, and adding traditions and then thus voiding the Word of God and so this is from Mark chapter 7 with one of Jesus' many confrontations with the Pharisees, right? And he's talk, Jesus is talking to the, the Pharisees and he says to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles father and mother must surely die. But you say, if 
a man tells his father or mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corbin, that is, a gift devoted to God, you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and many such things you do. So we see Jesus here getting angry with the Pharisees because they're voiding the word of God, because they're adding to the word of God, and they're these traditions, these oral traditions, and those traditions stand in conflict with the word of God, because the word of God says, honor your father and mother, which, which the implication there is take care of your parents in their, in their old age, and, but they, the Pharisees add this tradition, say, well, if you give everything to God and just say it's devoted to God, then you don't have to care for your parents, right? And so if Jesus gets angry about things like this, how do we think he feels about some of the things happening today? How do we, how do we think he feels about the Mass? You know, uh, how, how do we think he feels about some of the religious traditions that, that people have today? The truth is, is that no tradition or teaching should ever be allowed to stand in contradiction to God's word. Uh, scripture, you know, so, so scripture is the basis for our doctrine. It's the basis for our teaching. Um, and, and it's important that it is. And then secondly, scripture reproves us. Paul says it's useful for reproof. It's, it's useful for rebuke. Uh, the Bible rebukes us when we sin and it even exposes our sinful attitudes. It's the sword in the Holy Spirit's hand to convict people of sin, righteousness, and judgment. It tells us what sin is. Uh, Paul says in Romans that exact thing, I would not have known sin except by the law. It's the Bible that shows us what sin is. And it's usually not a, it's not a pleasant experience, but it's something that we need, right? We need to be convicted. We need to be humbled. We need to be exposed, uh, you can't be cleansed of your sin until you confess and forsake your sin. And you'll never confess or forsake your sin until you know that it's there. And you'll never know that it's there unless God's word exposes it because we are naturally blind to it. Uh, and so scripture functions like a mirror in that way. It shows us our dirt and, 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 it, and it rebukes us, it, it corrects us. And then finally, Scripture corrects us and trains us in righteousness. It, it corrects our thinking and understanding. It, it, it teaches us how to live right. It's not just truth to be stored in our heads. It's truth to be applied to our hearts and, and to be lived out. But it only happens if we allow God's Word to speak for itself and allow it to form our beliefs and practices rather than imposing our own viewpoint upon Scripture. And so as Christians, we don't get to say, I don't like that verse, or I don't like this idea, and so I'm not going to believe it, or I'm not, I'm not going to apply it. We don't have that option, because the Bible is relevant to us. It's, uh, it's, it's inspired by God. It is the, the very words of God, and it's relevant to every person and every place and every time in history. And then finally, the last point, the Bible is sufficient. We're going to talk about the, uh, the sufficiency of Scripture. Um, so the last part of the verse here in verse 17, Paul says um, that is, all Scripture is, is useful for teaching, rebuking, right, training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. So once we believe that the Bible is inspired and that it's relevant, that's still only two-thirds of the battle. We also must believe it is sufficient, which is what this verse teaches. 
Uh, so, so the Greek word for adequate is artios, which, like I said, it can be, probably be better translated perfect or complete. Um, and the Greek word for equipped is exertismenos, and it means fully equipped. So complete and fully equipped. The man of God may be complete, fully equipped for every good work. So what Paul is really saying here in the original language is that Scripture, God's special revelation, is, is not only the Word of God, the message of God, not only is it relevant to every person, but it's also enough. It's also sufficient for every believer. That any believer who has the Spirit of God in them can be fully equipped for every good work by simply studying the Bible without any other external teaching. Now, it's important to note that this does not mean Christians don't need to come to church. <laughs> okay, uh, it, it doesn't mean that we don't need godly counsel, we do, or that we don't need discipleship. We absolutely do. But the point is that none of those things should be given equal weight to the Word of God when it comes to, um, when it comes to shaping our, our beliefs and practices. Um, if you guys will excuse me, does anybody, I, I'm just going to grab my Bible. I know this is weird. Excuse me one second. I, I meant to bring it up here because I think it's important to just kind of have a visual here on this next point. Um, so this is a Bible, right? Um, it's important, like, oh, let me find my place here. Uh, so, so John... The Apostle John, in his first letter, the letter of 1 John, he, he echoes this conviction that Paul is teaching in Second uh, <clears throat> Timothy 3.17, that, that Scripture is enough um, when he's writing to his readers, because he's writing to counter uh, um, what are most likely Gnostic uh, teachers, um, telling people that, you know, you need uh, this special extra teaching for us if you want to be really spiritual. And he says in 1 John 2.27, the, the anointing that you receive from him, speaking of Jesus, believers in Jesus, the anointing you receive from Jesus abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything, and is true, and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. So the people John was refuting were saying, we have special secret knowledge that you need if you want to become really spiritual. And John says, no, if you have the Word and you have the Spirit, that's all you need. Okay. And so real quick, um, some points of application. What, what does this mean for us? That the Bible is inspired, that it is God's Word, that it's relevant to every person, and that it, that it is sufficient. So when you put all of these principles from this passage and the other passages we've talked about, when you put all these principles together, you get what we Protestants call sola scriptura. Some of you guys know it. All right. Uh, Sola scriptura, the teaching that the Bible alone holds supreme authority over true faith and practice, that it is clear and that, that, that it can be understood by every person, that it's, it is relevant to every person, and that it is sufficient for the salvation of every person. And it, it, it's, it's, it's complete. You can fully equip you for every good work, right? Um, and so why is believing this important? I mean, remember the tone of this letter that Ben talked about at the, at the be- beginning when we got into this series. This is Paul's last letter. 
You know, the, 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 he's talking about things that are of utmost importance. Um, so how does holding to the conviction that the Bible is inspired, relevant, and sufficient, how does that protect the church? What, what are the dangers of rejecting this doctrine? I just want to list a few examples quickly. First, it protects us from all kinds of false teachings and beliefs. Sola Scriptura means that Scripture is the authority. Scripture is the authority, and the church derives its authority from the Word of God, not the other way around. Right? We derive our authority from God's Word, not the other way around. And that is a key distinction that divides Protestants from Catholics and and as well as many cults like Jehovah's Witnesses, like uh, Mormons, because they have additional traditions and additional revelation that they will claim are, uh, are equal to Scripture. And so how do, how do we know that they're not? So, you know, you have like, you know, Catholic traditions, for example, like teachings on purgatory, uh, the Mass, the, the unbloody sacrifice of Christ at, at the Mass, um, and, uh, and, and prayers to Mary and things like that. These are traditions of men, not doctrines of God. And how do we know that there are teachings, that there are traditions of men and not doctrines of God. Well, the reason that we can say that is because that none of them are contained in the only thing that is theonoustos, the only thing that is God-breathed. So if this is the only thing that is God's Word, then you know what follows from that is that we hold to this. We hold to the Bible. We hold to God's Word, not not man's word. Or, you know, when someone tells you they have additional revelation from God, like a Mormon will tell you in the, in the Book of Mormon, or even a different religion, a Muslim will tell you that the Quran is additional revelation from God. How do we know whether that's true or false? Well, we know because the Quran, if you were to line up a Quran next to a Bible, the Quran contradicts what God has already revealed about himself. Remember what we talked about in Deuteronomy 13. You know, so, so we have this revelation and this revelation. This revelation does not contradict itself, but this new revelation does contradict this, and so we know that it is false. Okay? Um, and so, therefore, a Christian's conscience should not be bound to anything outside of God's Word. That's the first, that's the first you know, implication. It protects us from all kinds of false teachings and beliefs. Secondly... It binds our conscience to the truth. I just said that the, the Christian's conscience should not be uh, bound to anything outside of the Bible, but the Christian's conscience should be <laughs> bound to the Bible, right? We should be convicted by this. We should be taught by this. We should be trained by God's Word. So, so the Bible does bind our conscience. When a person correctly interprets and explains a passage of Scripture, whether it's a pastor to a congregation uh, in a church, or a friend to another friend in a coffee shop, um, it, or uh, just you know during your own personal study, when, when the Word of God is correctly interpreted and spoken, or, or, you know, correctly read and understood, it is as though God is speaking to us. So, in other words, when a pastor tells his congregation that God says we should love one another, serve one another, pray for one another, forgive one another, fight for justice, care for the vulnerable, share the gospel, these are not suggestions 
from the leader of a local fellowship, right? These are commands from God Almighty. So that's secondly, is that, it, you know, believing this protects us from false beliefs and traditions and cults and things like that. It also binds our conscience to the truth so that we might walk in the truth, so that we might be people of the truth. And then um, finally, it keeps us from falling into the foolish and destructive philosophies of our culture. If, if all Scripture, not some Scripture, but all Scripture, is God-breathed, is, is, is theonoustos, given by inspiration of God, and God cannot lie, then all Scripture is by definition true and without error. In other words, God's Word does not have to be validated by the people of the day. Okay? God, God's Word does not have to be validated by a culture. It does not have to be validated by men. It has been validated by men. It has been validated by archaeologists and historians many times. But that is not what makes it true. The Bible is true whether people in the culture believe it or not. And so believing this can, especially in our culture today, it might mean that we have to uh, stand make some hard stands and say some difficult things sometimes in what the world around us might find uh, rather offensive. We have to say things like, I'm sorry, Mr. Bruce Jenner, but you're still a man. Uh, You might have had a lot of surgery, but God created you as a male. And you can't just become something that you're not created to be because you're not the creator. You didn't create yourself. And so you don't get to say, what gender you are. Um, it means that there's no such thing as gay marriage, that, that you know, uh, homosexual behavior is not a f- another form of love. It's a perversion of love because marriage is not defined by human beings. It's not defined by a culture. It's defined by God. It's defined by God as, as one man and one woman, right? And that's what marriage is. Uh, it means we have to say things like, Social justice is not necessarily the same thing as biblical justice because God defines what justice is. Because he, 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 righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. God is the one who defines these things, not us. It means that we say things like abortion is not health care. It's, it's murder, right? And, and the, the, the world, our world today hates these things, but it's just the truth. And it, we are called to speak the truth in love. And th- that brings me to my last point. Finally, and most importantly, believing this, believing sola scriptura, means that it ensures that we have real answers and real hope. Real hope to share with the world around us. When our friends and neighbors come to realize the bankruptcy of the beliefs of the culture and the ways of this world, we can be there for them to give them the only real solution to all of the sin problems in the world. Jesus. It's the only real solution. And, and we can lovingly share with them, look, you don't need anything else except the Bible to understand concepts like truth, justice, love, worship, Salvation. 
Uh, we, we, we sang about it, right? Danny led us in uh, How Firm a Foundation. The Bible, God's Word, is the only sure foundation for understanding who God is and who we are and, and how we can be reconciled to God through faith in Jesus Christ. Um, and so, all Scripture is inspired by God. It is, it is God-breathed, theonoustos. It's the Word of God, not the Word of men. It's vitally relevant to every person, to each and every person, to all people, even if they may live in denial of it. And it's completely sufficient to, to save us, to, to train us, to equip us, to equip the Christian for every good work. Let's pray together. Lord God, um, thank you for your word, our, our only sure and firm foundation. May we cling to it, and may we leave the lies of this world and, and our culture, however, um, however loud the voices of the culture may get, however insistent they may be, Lord, may we not give way. May we stand on your word and on your word alone, um, knowing that, that all truth is your truth, that, that you are the way, the truth, and the life, Lord Jesus, and that no one comes to the Father except through you. Lord, may that be ever our conviction that we hold to firmly, for the rest of our lives until we see you face to face. And may it be our message to a lost and broken world that you and only you are the way, the truth, and the life. We pray all these things in your, your great name. Amen.